This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. So when we talk about arthritis, we're really talking about well over 100 different diseases. And you here in this audience represent a half dozen of these, but in fact there's well over 100 diseases. And what these diseases have in common is they affect the joints and the surrounding tissues. Generally the joints, but by surrounding tissues we mean things like tendons and bursa, sometimes muscles. And so all of those diseases are arthritis. Now, by far the most common type of arthritis is osteoarthritis. And osteoarthritis occurs when the cartilage, and the cartilage is the soft, I mean, it's not really all that stuff. It's kind of tough stuff. It's the stuff your ears are made of and your nose is made of. And at the ends of bones, it's the stuff that's the end of bones that keep the bones from grinding against each other. Well, in osteoarthritis, what happens is that that cartilage wears away. And the question is, why does it wear away? Well, it probably wears away for two reasons. One, it gets damaged. And it gets damaged by things like playing football or being in an accident. Or it wears away because we just get older. Everybody that's over the age of 40, if we really look at x-rays, you can see some osteoarthritis. And one of the big pieces of research that's going on today in this disease is how do we keep, number one, how do you keep cartilage from wearing away? And if it does wear away, can we replace it? And there's actually some experimental treatments going on now in replacing cartilage. They're mostly done in animals. We're not quite ready for human beings yet, but it, it's coming. But that's what osteoarthritis is. And osteoarthritis can occur any place in the body, hands, knees, hips, spine. So a lot, not all, but some back pain is actually caused by osteoarthritis in the spine. So it can occur anywhere in the body that you have bones and you have cartilage and it can wear away. Very, very common disease. The bad news is, is that it's painful. It can cause some disability. If you have osteoarthritis of the fingers, and if these joints down here, not the big joints up here, but if these joints are kind of funny looking, hard, misshapen, that's a real sign of osteoarthritis. And it's a pretty easy diagnosis to make. 
And if I knew you all a little bit better, I'd have you show each other your hands because once you've seen one hand with osteoarthritis, all of you can become expert diagnosticians. It doesn't take a great deal of effort. So that's, that's basically what osteoarthritis is. Now, the second most common type of arthritis is rheumatoid arthritis. And rheumatoid arthritis is a very different animal because rheumatoid arthritis is a disease of the immune system. There's lots and lots of diseases of the immune system that are probably related. Diabetes has some immune system. HIV AIDS certainly has some immune system pieces. Rheumatoid arthritis and many of the other types of arthritis also have to do with the immune system. In these diseases, what happens is our own bodies start attacking themselves. And when those attacks happen in the joints, that's usually rheumatoid arthritis. And the big problem with rheumatoid arthritis is inflammation. This, the tissues around the joints, the synovial membrane, which surrounds every joint in the body, or almost all joints in the body, becomes inflamed. That inflammation, in turn, causes damage to the cartilage, damage to the bones, sometimes damage to the muscles and the tendons. And that's a disease that can be very, very serious. It can cause lots and lots of destruction. It can cause lots and lots of crippling. The good news about rheumatoid arthritis is that we've probably seen the last generation of people that are going to be badly crippled by this disease. And the reason for that is we have some very good new drugs. And if you know anybody with rheumatoid arthritis or who thinks they have rheumatoid arthritis, it's really important that they see a physician and a physician who knows how to treat arthritis early in the course of their disease. Because if, once the destruction's occurred, there's not much you can do about it. You can stop the disease or you can slow it down, but you can't reverse destruction that's occurred. But now we're in a position where we can actually stop a lot of this destruction from ever occurring. And that's the really good news about this disease. I was going to tell you the good news about osteoarthritis, and the good news about osteoarthritis is that it very seldom becomes terribly, terribly crippling. You may have really funny-looking hands, but the hands remain functional. People can, you know, you, you might have trouble opening a jar, but you probably can drive a car, do things of this sort. And that's what I, that's what I mean by, by staying functional. It's kind of a matter of degree. So that's, that's you know, not a nice disease, but it's, things could be worse. So now let me talk about a little bit. Somebody wanted to know tendonitis. Tendonitis hold kind of the bones and the joints together. And all a tendonitis is is the tendon has become inflamed. And somebody wanted to know about bursitis. Bursitis are little, they're literally, the word bursa means bag, and they're little bags that secrete very slippery stuff that keep, help your muscles glide over each other. That's their functions. And when that bursa or that little bag becomes inflamed, you have bursitis. So that's what bursitis is. Why does it become inflamed? 
Why does it become chronic? Because you keep annoying it. I mean, that sounds funny, but that's one of the reasons it becomes it. Because none of us, you know, if bursitis was such a terrible disease that we couldn't move for three weeks, it may not become chronic, but the problem is if you do that, you're also going to have a lot of other damage because you're going to have weak muscles, and so you don't want to do that. And so what we do is, because we always keep moving, we kind of keep annoying it. That's what, I, that's what I mean by annoying it. And that's one of the reasons that it becomes chronic. I don't think we truly understand all the reasons that it becomes chronic, but at least that's one of the reasons. So all of these things that have inflammation involved, tendonitis, bursitis, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, and there's se several other types of arthritis that have inflammation involved. The treatment for those, uh, what we want to do is we want to suppress the inflammation. And as I say, we have some really good, new, powerful drugs to do that in rheumatoid arthritis. When it comes to tendonitis, bursitis, you probably don't want to use these same drugs because it's kind of like using a cannon when a pistol would do. And so there's usually other drugs that can be tried. First, actually, a lot of times, very short doses of steroids will sometimes be helpful for these diseases. You know, we're all taught that steroids are absolutely horrible and nobody should ever take them. But when used properly, they can be real lifesavers in some cases. So those are the sorts of drugs. Now, when it comes back to osteoarthritis, the story's a little different. Sometimes there's a little bit of inflammation in osteoarthritis, but most of the pain actually comes from bone rubbing against bone. And so we don't want to use these heavy-duty drugs, especially because they don't do very much good because inflammation really isn't the big problem. And to date, the best drugs that we have are kind of two levels of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. The older drugs are things like Indocin and Naprosyn. As you buy them over the counter, Aleve, Motrin. Good drugs for osteoarthritis. The newer drugs that we have are what are called the COX-2 inhibitors. How many of you have heard of a COX-2 inhibitor? Celebrex, Vioxx. Are these drugs wonderful? Eh, they're probably about the same as the older drugs as far as pain relief. So why are they wonderful? Because in people that are prone to problems of the gastrointestinal tract, people with stomach problems when they take these older drugs, these drugs seem to be a little bit milder for the gastrointestinal tract. If you've been taking naproxen or indocin or whatever, and you're not having any problems with the gastrointestinal tract and you don't have any bleeding problems, the older drugs are just fine and they're a whole lot less expensive. <coughs> if in fact you do have some problems with the gastrointestinal tract, or you do have bleeding problems, then the new COX-2 inhibitors probably are what you should have. But as far as the effects on pain, we can't see in studies much difference, if any difference. So if you want to save some money, that's a way of doing it. Now, the secret 
in taking all of these drugs. One of the reasons that people get into trouble with their stomachs is that their drugs need to be taken with food. And if you don't take them with food, you're going to end up having more trouble with stomachs than if you do take them with food. So just a hint on how to take the drugs. Probably the single most important thing that all of you can do for arthritis is exercise. I will tell you right off that it is impossible to hurt yourself exercising. Now what do I mean by hurt yourself? You can be miserable tomorrow if you exercise too much. There's no question about that. If I go out and climb, you know, the highest peak in the coastal range, if I go out and decide I want to climb a num num tonight, outside of the fact that you don't climb a num num in the dark, but let's say I decide I want to do that, I would be really miserable tomorrow because I'm not in condition to climb that mountain. But I will not have injured myself permanently. A few days of being miserable, my, my joints aren't going to be damaged by it, my bones aren't going to be damaged by it. The same with you. So I'm not telling you that you can't be miserable the next day after exercising, but I am telling you that you're not going to do any permanent damage to your joints. Now I'm going to tell you how to exercise so that you're not miserable tomorrow, because that's the most important thing. The general rule, and there's, there's kind of three types of exercise. When I started in this field 25 years ago, if I had been talking to you then, I would have said to you, well, you know, you have to do very gentle stretching exercises and don't do very much because you might hurt yourself. Unfortunately, some people are still telling you that, and that's not quite what we need to tell you. First, what you need to do as far as stretching. And you can do this. You don't have to go to a physical therapist. If you do want to go to a physical therapist, the reason to go to a physical therapist is to learn the exercises you should do. You don't have to go two times a week for the rest of your life or once a week for the rest of your life. All you have to do is go and learn what you should be doing and then do them. Now, it's not quite as much fun as going twice a week and you know, trying to find parking and waiting around, but that's the way it is. So, if you, the other way is you can figure out most of this yourself. So, if your shoulder hurts, lots of people have shoulders that hurt. What you need to figure out is what can you do? Well, I can get my shoulder up this high. Okay, so the exercise is really pretty easy. You want to get your shoulder up this high and you want to coax it a little bit higher. You don't, want to, you don't want to do this, just a little bit higher, and you want to do that three or four times a couple times a day. If your elbow has trouble bending, then you want to bend it just to the point that you're having pain and a little bit more three to four times a day. So that's what I mean by stretching exercises. I don't mean that you have to go to a stretching class. You can figure that out. I'll give a plug, by the way, for the Arthritis Help Book because one of the things the Arthritis Help Book has in it is it has stretching exercises for every joint in the body. So if you don't want to figure it out yourself, it's written down for you. So that's, that's one kind of exercise, but that's not enough. 
The second type of exercise is what we, and probably the most important, and it's looking like it's the most important for both rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis, is what we call endurance exercise or weight-bearing exercise. Now, not everybody can do any weight-bearing, and so there's some alternatives, which would be swimming or bicycling. But I'm going to talk about walking, because all of you got here tonight which means that all of you can probably walk a little bit, I think. Is that right? If I, am I missing somebody? If I am, I'll talk to you afterwards and give you some alternatives. So what you want to do is you want to think about, and I bet if I ask you, you can tell me, how long can you walk without feeling worse when you're finished than before you start? Can some of you tell me? Okay, you can walk 14 miles. So yeah, you, you don't need any more exercise. Okay, well you might. Well, actually, I'll come back to you. But how about some of the others of you that can't walk 14 miles? Yes. I can walk Four days a week? Okay, so you can really walk a lot too. How about some other folks that can't walk quite as much? You know, what? You can walk two miles. How about somebody else? Yes? Four or five blocks, okay? A few blocks. Okay, so we have this whole range from 14 miles to a few blocks. Is there anybody that thinks that probably they could only walk maybe three or four minutes? Okay, so we have some people that, you know, three or four minutes is probably, and that's fine. When starting an exercise program, you start by doing whatever you can do now without feeling worse when you're finished before you start. And you want to do that four to five times a week. Now, if you're walking 14 miles, I'm not asking you to walk 14 miles five times. Once you get up to about 30 to 45 minutes, that's enough. Exercise is funny stuff. You get lots of benefit up to about 45 minutes. And yes, you get more benefit if you go to two hours. But if this is the baseline, my bottom hand is baseline, you get this much benefit by 45 minutes, you only get about this much by two hours. So once you go above about 45 minutes a day, you're not getting huge extra fitness exercise, huge extra fitness benefits. All right. So, yes. Are you talking power walking? No, I am talking strolling around with a dog. That's fine. We're not talking about your heart right now, we're talking about your arthritis. And strolling around with your dog, by the way, for a lot of people is great for your heart. It just depends on how fit you are. I have some people that are on oxygen, that are really, really debilitated. We have them start exercising programs by walking one minute an hour while they're awake. That's, that's quite enough exercise for them to start with. But you want to eventually, and by the way, there's 15 to four, those 30 to 45 minutes don't have to be all together. I just heard somebody say that maybe they could walk a couple of blocks. Well, why don't you try two blocks in the morning and two blocks at night? That's fine to start. 10 minutes twice a day, five minutes three times a day. The issue is to start activity so that you don't feel worse when you're finished than before you start. And what you want to work up to is a total of 30 to 45 minutes a day. 
but don't worry about it if you're starting at 15 minutes a day. That's fine. All right, is there anything? Oh, people want to know about back pain. Most back pain, we will never be able to figure out what causes it. And unfortunately, those of you that have back pain have to live with that. We can take x-rays. We can take MRIs. But all the x-rays and MRIs show us is, yeah, there's a little bit of problem here. There's a little bit of problem there. But if we took those same x-rays or MRIs of 100 people, most of those people would have the same problems and wouldn't have back pain. So just because you see something on an x-ray or an MRI doesn't mean that that's causing the back pain, with a few exceptions. So the important thing with back pain is to rule out that it's dangerous. You want to, so when you go to a doctor, the doctor is going to ask you some questions, and the questions are going to be, are you having any problems with your bowels, or are you having any problems with your bladder or your urine? Do you have any tingling or numbness in your arms or your legs? Um, do you have, um, does the pain get better, does, does the pain continue when you lay down? They're going to ask some questions. Do those sound familiar questions? Those questions are being asked not to diagnose the back pain, but to rule out that you have anything serious. So what we do is we ask people these questions. If the answers to them are all or no, then we can tell people pretty much, we don't know exactly what's causing your back pain, but we can tell you to get on with how to manage it. And the way you manage back pain is by remaining active. Sometimes if you're having back spasms or it's really extreme, you might need a day or two of bed rest. You may need some muscle relaxants for a few days. But the sooner we can get people up, we can get people doing a little bit of walking, a little bit more walking, being a little bit more active, the sooner the back pain is going to go away. And I wish I could say the back pain is caused by this. And anybody that tells you they know exactly what's causing your back pain, with a few exceptions, is lying to you because they just we just don't know. We, there's just no way of figuring that out. Spinal stenosis is another story. Spinal stenosis, the, the spinal cord kind of goes through a small channel down through the vertebrae. It's kind of surrounded by bone. When that channel narrows, and it can narrow for all kinds of reasons, uh, aging is one of the reasons, but there's other reasons as well, then what happens is you start getting compression on that spinal column and you start getting all kinds of pains and problems. You can see that with an x-ray or an MRI. And in some cases, one of the things you need to do about that is surgery. However, I'd certainly try some of the more conservative exercise things first. So spinal stenosis is, is one of the types of back pain that we actually know what's going on. All right, so anything else anybody wants to know about types of arthritis? Yeah. Sciatica. Sciatica is a type of back pain. It, sciatica just means that the pain radiates down one leg, radiates down through the buttocks and down through one leg. That's what sciatica is. 
it's usually caused because one of the nerves coming out of the spinal column is compressed by something. And it's usually compressed by, usually by a disc, but it can be compressed by other things. And that's one of the red flags. It's one of the things that they ask you is, do you have any pain in your, your legs or in your arms? And if you do have sciatica, generally what happens is you try conservative treatment first, which is exercise mainly. And if after a while it either gets worse or it doesn't get better, then you may have to do, some, you may have to do surgery to relieve it. But that's what sciatica is. Inflamed cartilage, in fact, cartilage doesn't get inflamed because there's nothing there to be inflamed. You can have the synovial membrane around a joint become inflamed, but if that's the case, uh, the joint is usually tender to the touch and it's really right at the joint. If you have a tendonitis, it's usually a little bit away from the joint. And that's one of the reasons that if you really have a, a good rheumatologic exam, people are going to do a lot of squeezing of you. How many of you have ever had one of these exams? And what happens is people spend their, you know, the doc spends, you know, 10 minutes squeezing you, right? And what they're doing is they're checking to figure out where the pain is. Does this area feel puffy? Because pain here is one thing and pain here is another thing. And that's how you end up being able to tell the difference. A good exam can tell that difference. You know, you can't tell it for sure because sometimes pain's deferred a little bit, but in general you can pretty well tell it. Arthritis is generally in exactly where the joint is. So if my hip hurts, that's probably arthritis. If kind of my leg hurts, I may have to do more with nerves because, you know, there's no joints in this part of my leg. There's no joints in the middle of my butt. Does that make, does this, do you see what I'm, where I'm going? So, it takes, and I'm not an expert on this, I mean, I can't tell this, but a doctor who really understands how your body's put together can pretty easily tell the difference. And it has to do with exactly where the pain is, it also has to do with the nature of the pain. So pain on the inside of the leg means one thing, pain on the outside of the leg means another thing. If all of a sudden one day you have a very hot, swollen knee, and you've kind of ruled out other things, you definitely have rheumatoid arthritis, the answer is probably, but, and this is the thing that is so infuriating about these diseases, and it's infuriating to patients, it's infuriating to the physicians that treat them. And that is that you sometimes just have to watch the disease over time and see what it starts looking like. Because a disease may start looking like a horse, and as you watch it over time, you may actually find it's a zebra. It may be one of the rare types, or it may be a little bit different. So you watch it. The good thing is that it doesn't make a lot of difference because the treatment's pretty much the same. But is it definitely something? Nobody can tell you until they've watched it a little while because we don't have good laboratory tests. I mean, it's not that we can take a little bit of blood and say, aha, you have. I wish we did, but unfortunately we don't.
pain and arthritis comes from lots of different causes. In rheumatoid arthritis, yes, it comes from inflammation. It also can come from bone rubbing against bone. That can happen in rheumatoid arthritis. It can happen in osteoarthritis. It could come from tendonitis, but generally those are the two major things that cause the pain. But it also comes from some other things. When you have pain in a joint, what the muscles do is the muscles contract to protect the joint. And I would dare you all to make a fist and hold it, a really tight fist for 10 minutes. What would happen? You'd, have, you'd, have, you'd go numb and you'd actually have pain. You'd actually have pain. Because what happens is muscles that are contracted all the time, so you get muscle pain. So in arthritis, some of the pain that you're having is muscle pain. It's not pain from the direct disease at all. It's from your muscles trying to protect that joint. Then the third thing, let me just go through the different types of pain, then I'll get to your question. The third thing that causes pain is worry. Worry, depression, frustration, and let me give you an example of that. How many of you have ever had anything wrong with you? Maybe you had some pain, you know, could have had arthritis, but you've had something wrong with you, and you didn't think it was very serious, but it didn't go away, and it didn't go away, and you finally decided to go to the doctor, and then you had to wait for an appointment, and so the kind of the three or four days before you got to the appointment, whatever was bothering you got much worse, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, don't worry about it, it's just a little something, and you go home, and you realize it's all better. Have any of you ever had that experience? I see people that have had, that's, that's pain. It's not that you didn't have anything, and it's not that you're all better, but you're lots better because you're not worried about it. You know it's not cancer. You know it's not you know, rheumatoid arthritis. It's, it's not whatever your worst fear is. And as long as it's not whatever your worst fear is, you can kind of get on with it, and life's much better. So this whole issue of fear, depression, emotion, really does make pain worse. And so when you look at all those things, then you start looking at how you can make pain better. But before I do that, you had a question. Those are usually manifestations of rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, when, people's, when people get, start getting deformities, especially their legs, where they get knock-kneed or they get bow-legged, they really start getting deformities. And she's asked, could I explain that? And what's happened in those cases is the structures around the bones have been destroyed or are in the process of being destroyed, and therefore the whole structure kind of, instead of being like this, changes. And hopefully we're going to get people like that into treatment before that happens in the future, because we can prevent that. This, the question is, I have, I have a set of funny symptoms that don't fit anything well. Am I, am I quoting you all right? Am I, am I, I don't want to make light of this at all. No. Yeah, and it's very frustrating. And what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to be watched for a while to see until the disease decides to actually declare itself. And sometimes that takes a while because it's one of these situations, 
you know, I can tell you what it's typically like, and then we have a person like you that's atypical. And that's why the people I work with, Dr. Holman and Dr. Fries, et cetera, Dr. Genovese, that's why they're rheumatologists and I'm not. Because when they see something like that, they can say, oh yeah, I saw something like that 15 years ago, and I really understand that, you know, I don't really understand exactly what's going on, but if we watch it for a while, it will reveal itself, and in the meantime, I have to be supportive and use the best supportive treatment I can. Osteoarthritis tends to be one-sided, rheumatoid tends to be two-sided. Osteoarthritis tends to be little ends of the finger joints, rheumatoid arthritis tends to be these upper joints. Um, osteoarthritis tends to be hips, knees, fingers, rheumatoid arthritis tends to be at literally any type, any joint. And ultimately, the way you distinguish them is by the way they present. Um, you may have some swelling and hotness that's more like rheumatoid arthritis than osteoarthritis. When you watch symptoms for a while, how long's a while? Literally until they declare themselves. Now, you were, sometimes we're talking 18 months, two years, three years and sometimes even longer. Because you might start thinking that you're working with rheumatoid arthritis and five years later you might think, you know, this is now beginning to look a lot more like lupus. So there's not clear cut distinctions between these diseases. These diseases, remember, all diseases only have names because we name them. You know, then, you know God didn't sit up on heaven on the eighth day say, this is osteoarthritis, this is rheumatoid arthritis. It's nowhere in the Bible. He didn't name the diseases, we did. <laughs> if playing an instrument is really important and you have these diseases, I would go up to UC San Francisco, I'd have one appointment, and those folks, I mean, they're the people that take care of the folks of the San Francisco Symphony. They're the people that play instruments and they really know it. And if that's in, really important and a key point in your life, I'd go and see them. Because I can't give you the answer, but they can. And they're the only people that I know of in the Bay Area that are real experts on this, because they're people that have really worked with musicians. And musicians have very special problems that the rest of us don't have because of the stresses of, the, of playing. You may want to go to a physical therapist because you may need to do your weightlifting in a different manner. You're not going to have to give it up, but you may have need to do it in a different manner. And that you're a good person to go to a physical therapist and really talk about that problem because it's a very specific problem. I don't know enough about it to give you an advice, but I know that you need the advice. You probably won't have to give up weightlifting, but you may have to do it differently. For example, I was doing weights that were done this way, and I was causing too much stress on my spine. I learned I can do the same exercise on all fours without the stress on my spine. So there's almost always a different way of doing things. And if you can't figure that out yourself, go to a PT. They're really good at that.
Tai Chi is a terrific exercise for stretching. It's not going to give you aerobic fitness. It's not going to give you fitness, and it's not going to give you strength. But it's absolutely marvelous for stretching, and it's a great exercise for arthritis. But you still need to do the walking. She said, well, how about wear and tear? And she was told she wore her hands out. I'd have to know a whole lot more about what you did to, to your thumbs. You may have genetically been born with weak, bad thumbs. I mean, unfortunately, that's the way the world is. It may also be that you did something with your thumbs all your life that is different than how most people. This lady's playing instruments and holding them in strange ways and doing things. And I, if we talked about it, we might be able to figure it out. But generally, unless you put excess stress on a joint, you don't wear it out. We're beginning to learn that strengthening or working with light weights can be very helpful for arthritis because if you can strengthen those muscles, then when they contract, they're not as painful. There is a terrific book, and the book is called Strong Women Stay Young by Nelson. I'm sorry about the title of the book. It should be called Strong People Stay Young because it's absolutely as good for men as it is for women. And it's a wonderful, wonderful book about if you want to start a weight program, how do you do that? And you can do it at home, and you can do it with very, she actually starts you out with no weights, and you kind of work up to one pound and two pounds. In osteoporosis, what happens is if you think of your bones, first you think about them as chicken wire. And then you think of the chicken wire all being filled in with stuff kind of like cement. So that you have the infrastructure, and then this infrastructure is built around with, with stuff. In osteoporosis, what happens is you start losing the infrastructure. So you start losing the chicken wire, and as you lose the chicken wire, the bones become more porous. They're not as thick and heavy as they were. They become more porous, and they tend to break more easily. Osteoporosis used to be a disease of women, and it's mostly thin, fair, white women. So if you're a thin, fair, white woman, you're more likely to have osteoporosis than if you are a darker-skinned woman or an over, a woman that has a little bit more weight to them. Uh, generally, that's, that, but that doesn't mean you won't get osteoporosis. It just means that those thin, fair, white tend to get it a little bit more. And it can be a miserable, miserable disease because it can cause a lot of pain. Uh, you end up having spinal problems because the, sp the, the, spine, the, the bones of the spine collapse on each other. And it can truly be a miserable, miserable disease. And that's what we're looking at when you have bone density tests, is let's look at the bone density because today we have some medications that we can give you to help prevent any more bone loss.
But there's a lot of things you can do. And the two things, the two really important proven things that you can do with osteoporosis is number one, take calcium. And by taking calcium, for women that are past menopause, and it looks like most of us here in this room are at that age, then you want to be taking 1,500 milligrams of calcium a day. That's equivalent to about four glasses or four cups of milk. So you can get it in your diet. Most of us have a hard time doing that, so you might as well take calcium pills, and it doesn't make a whole lot of difference which ones you take. It's the matter of getting them into you. We don't know of any foods that make any form of arthritis better or worse. So it doesn't make a lot of difference what you eat. Now, having said that, I'm going to tell you the exceptions, because there are a few exceptions. If you have lupus, for reasons that I have no idea why, alfalfa sprouts seem not to do well for people with lupus. So don't eat sprouts for lupus. Um, if you have osteoarthritis, actually it doesn't matter, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, any type of arthritis, for every extra pound of weight you have, it just has to do with physics, you're putting many extra pounds of pressure on your knees and hips and ankles. So maintaining a lean body weight is going to save you a lot in pain and wear and tear. And that's tough to do, but it can be done. So, you know, probably the best, one of the best exercises for arthritis is pushing away from the table. <laughs> you know, anything in moderation. Anything in moderation. We do not know of foods that make arthritis better or worse. Now, having said that, I want to do another caveat. That I have met in my life enough people with rheumatoid arthritis who have told me and for everybody, it's a different food. If I drink red wine, my arthritis gets worse. If I eat green beans, my arthritis gets worse. If I have soda crackers, my, I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious. But everybody kind of has their own food that makes their arthritis worse. If you found a food that makes your arthritis better or worse, please either eat it or don't eat it. But don't expect that experience to carry over to other people. I actually believe, and it's a belief because it's not based on anything scientific, but I actually believe that probably certain foods in certain individuals may make their arthritis better or worse. But you know, we have the same amount of arthritis in Italy where people eat loads of tomatoes as we have here. You go to some place like China where people don't eat any tomatoes and almost no eggplants, and they have just as much arthritis that we have. So that arthritis tends to be a pretty equal opportunity disease around the world. And I really wish I could tell you what to eat and not eat, but I can't. Okay, omega-3s are interesting. Because omega-3s, omega-3s are found in fish oil. There's a slight, and I do mean slight, amount of evidence 
that omega-3s may be useful for people with rheumatoid arthritis. We also know that they're useful in lowering triglycerides. Now the problem is, is you've got to take an awful lot of them. And when you take an awful lot of them, you open yourselves up to problems with bleeding and problems with the liver. So I'm not going to tell you all to go out and take mega doses of omega-3s because it's like anything else. Just because something's a supplement or a natural thing, it has side effects. We very often think, well, you know, if it's found in nature, it has to be okay. And what I always tell people is, so is poison ivy. You know, there's, there's things in nature that aren't okay. And so, yes, there's some evidence, but it's probably not strong enough that I build my life around omega-3s. I actually just learned about omega-3s because I was all hot to take a bunch of omega-3s for triglycerides, and I talked to a nutritionist, and she said, I don't think you want to do that. A, the triglycerides aren't that high, and B, you bleed. Plus, which when you buy, when you buy supplements in this country, this is a piece of information I just found out, by the way. We have no idea what's really in them. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know what the dosage is, because we have no standards in this country that control supplements. If you want to really know what's in a supplement, buy one from Germany. Because Germany is the only country on Earth that actually has laws that says what they label is what has to be in them. And strangely enough, I learned that in Singapore. <laughs> Glucosamine's an interesting story. We used to think, well, no, we didn't used to think. The public was led to believe that because glucosamine is basically made out of cartilage, it's also made out of crab shells and lobster shells, that the public was told, see, if you take cartilage, it's going to build your cartilage. Well, if you think about it, you know, by the time you digest stuff, you don't have little bits of cartilage floating around inside of you. That's not the way we work. And so for a long time, health professionals just kind of poo-pooed glucosamine. You know, duh. Well, the Europeans said, we want to test this out. And lo and behold, people that took glucosamine with osteoarthritis tended to have less pain than people that didn't take glucosamine. Now, it's not because it builds cartilage. We don't have any evidence that it builds cartilage. But for reasons that we don't really understand very well, it seems to help with pain. Um, we've tried really, really, really hard because all the folks that don't want to believe in it have really tried to find bad side effects, and we can't find any. And so if you want to take glucosamine, Unfortunately, it's fairly expensive. Costco seems to have the cheapest around, Costco and Trader Joe's. Go ahead and take it. Is it a miracle drug? No. But I think it's probably a useful thing, and you can buy it over the counter, and it seems to be pretty safe and somewhat helpful. How does alcohol fit into this whole thing? Um, alcohol is not going to make arthritis better or worse. Alcohol has a lot of calories in it, so if you're watching calories, if you want to watch weight, one of the best ways of watching weight 
is lowering alcohol. You know, if you have a drink a day or a drink a couple times a week, don't worry about it. But if you're one of these people that has two beers every night or a couple of drinks before dinner every night or more than that, then that's probably not a great thing if you're trying to lose weight. The other thing about alcohol and arthritis is that one of the real problems with arthritis is fatigue. And one of the things that causes pain is fatigue because when you're tired, everything is worse. Have you ever noticed that when you're tired? It's, you know, it's when you're most tired that the cat throws up on the rug, that you know, your kid calls and wants money, and on and on and on. No matter what happens, it's when you're exhausted that all the awful things in life happen. And pain is also worse when you're exhausted. Alcohol interferes with sleep. People kind of think that alcohol helps with sleep, and it kind of does because it helps you go to sleep. But once you're asleep, you don't get the deep type of sleep that is really restful. Because sleep kind of is at many different levels. And what alcohol does is it keeps you at the almost awake level and you don't get restful sleep. And so that's another place that alcohol kind of interferes or can interfere with arthritis. But is there any direct connection between alcohol and arthritis? No, with one exception, and that's gout. And nobody here told me you had gout. Gout's an arthritis that has to do with having um, some um, crystals in the joints. And you don't need to worry about that. If you, if you have gout, you know it because it's exceedingly painful. I have had a good time. Thank you. I hope that this is useful. I will put in two plugs, the Health Library and the Arthritis Foundation. You're welcome. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.